The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. Well, every time I've lived in a place, it's had its own culture, and you celebrate and what you witness to, it's, it's a little bit endemic to that place and the people. In Washington, D.C., of course, I don't know if you've ever lived there, but you can imagine it was inescapably gorgeous when the cherry blossoms were in bloom, and the beauty and the promise of that season in that city demanded that you stop and pay attention. And there were also elections and these kind of ritual moments in a government city that would creep into life and even into worship life together. New York and New Jersey, well, we had spectacular falls, stunning, bright maple leaves and the ginkgos that you see here too. And it would come right along the same time as the Jewish high holidays, which were as mandatory for us to stop and pay witness to and reflect on as the Christian ones or any others. In San Francisco, I'm still figuring it out, summer here is about fog and fall is summer. So I am a little confused sometimes, but what's really clear is that Lunar New Year is this vital ritual season for the city and so many of us in it. And this year, as everyone else has said, is the year of the tiger. The tiger, ambitious, courageous, charismatic, bold, forthright, but in a judicious, respectful way, keepers of their word, the ones who understandably then others turn to for leadership. And so this is this year when we honor everyone who's born to that sign, but also engage in this invitation to live this set of qualities for ourselves, which seems to mean or might mean engaging the invitation to leadership. Some of the biggest breakthroughs for me, the biggest ahas for me in the first few decades since I started ministry have come around an ever-expanding and deepening notion of what leadership looks like or can, who, who moves through the world as a leader and how, all the different ways. I mean, even in the story of the tiger, there are these subtle lessons that are buried right in the fable that many of you probably remember. We've told it here before that are about sort of a broadened sense of leadership to me, right? That story about the Jade Emperor and how he wants these guardians. And so he asks all the animals to race toward the gates of heaven. And how it isn't the tiger, the fastest, who wins. The rat wins because he gets up early and outwits his competitors, but he does hit a river mid midway and needs help, and it's the diligent ox who shows up at the river and the two of them cross together. And Rat gets in the gate first and Ox second. So Tiger, with all his swiftness and curb appeal, so beautiful and sleek, well, learns 
the humble lesson that the world is going to need other gifts and insights to win the races that we have ahead of us. These insights help to break open, I think, a very restrictive notion of how the world moves forward for good, for transformation even. I don't know about you, but I was under the impression for a very long time that if I was going to a step into any role in the world that required leadership or even consider it, I had to be willing from the onset to pay a particular price, which was to change myself. In my case, I loved ministry. I loved and I love being with people in all the ways that ministry invites us to be together and in the world, but, but the cost, I thought, the toll I would have to pay at the gates to this journey was becoming something that I really wasn't. But out of love, out of love for everything else, I would, I would do. Let me tell you what I mean. I had this idea that there was this particular kind of leader, the one who gets things done, the one who moves the world the way we all want it to move. And in my understanding, that was this very particular person. It was a leader who was outwardly very confident, bigger than life, someone who always seemed to manage to figure out on their own the right answers, bold and unflagging in drive and ambition, even ambition for larger shared good. And that image hung over me like a cloud or a reproach because I never felt like that person. And as I got a few years into ministry with a few years under my belt, I felt like this clock was ticking, not the biological clock, the leadership clock, and that I needed to figure out fast and build up the resolve to be that person, to either pretend to be, to somehow force myself to be before people stopped cutting me slack for being green and in formation and expected me to be the thing I needed to be, to be able to be who I wanted to be. And at the time, there were leaders in the press the ones who stood out or got attention in business and politics, and they were like that, the ones who got attention. I think they still are, to be honest. I mean, look at Donald Trump, or even think to yourself, who are the most well-known leaders of the tech world, the ones who get the most adulation or kind of attention? It's not Bill Gates, it's Steve Jobs, right? It's not Zuckerberg, it's Elon Musk. We have this thing for leaders who, they take on this kind of mythic proportion, these kind of tsunamis of willpower and ideas with their seemingly unstoppable egos and commanding presence. And that's what I thought I needed to find some way to become, which is silly in retrospect. But it was what I was holding on to and torturing myself with until What cracked it open was I picked up a book, not a religious book actually, but a business book of all things. And it changed my sense of who you and I can be to be powerful and world changing even. The book I picked up was called Good to Great by this researcher, 
former professor at Stanford Business School, Jim Collins. He'd written a big hit of a book called Built to Last, which, as I recall, I never actually read it. It was about companies that were built from the beginning to be stellar performers and endure that way. But when he was done, there were a whole bunch of people who reached out and said, because so many of the companies and organizations in the world are ones that already exist and they might be adequate or good performers, but they're not great, people asking, what does it take to go from good to great? What about that story? How do you do that? And so, in the mid-1990s, Collins set out with a big research team to identify those people, who had, those organizations that had been decent performers and become stellar performers and done that in a sustained way and ask what were the keys to cultural and structural transformation that enabled that. And they set out and they identified through a set of criteria those that had had that kind of trajectory and others as a control group that had gone from good to great but then back down. So to compare the two and identify what made the difference. And they found they interrogated everything they were asking. They found that there were lots of things that were useful, many things that actually apply to any organization or community that's looking at it transforming itself. But the one I found most interesting, the thing I found most interesting, was around leadership. It turns out Collins had told all of his research assistants not to look at the leadership of the organization. He thought leadership was overrated and it was overemphasized in, in its uh, general, in people's general sense of how it affected organizations. And so he told them to, he kept telling them to leave that off their list of things that they were looking at. But they kept coming back to him and saying, no, there was something about the leadership in these organizations, something that was important. And finally, he set aside his bias, and they started to look at what it was. And they found that, in fact, it was pivotal. Pivotal. Which maybe isn't really surprising, because any of us who have worked in organizations or in efforts that have a good leader know how much more unifying and exciting it is to be, how much more energizing to be with someone who is a good, strong leader versus an average or even a poor leader. So maybe it's not surprising, but what was surprising were the characteristics and qualities of these leaders. Because these leaders, the ones who helped to transform organizations into world-beating organizations, ones that transformed things, they were not the over-the-top, charismatic, cult of personality folks. The ones subconsciously I had been trained, I think we all had been trained to expect, were the ones behind great things. In fact, those leaders, the splishy ones, often led companies to short-term turnarounds and later to a decline, something that lacked unity, lacked longevity. Instead, the leaders of organizations that became great, from the CEOs down, were marked by people of innate humility coupled with a dogged pursuit of their aims. Collins points out that, in fact, 
You and I wouldn't know the name of a single one of the leaders in these great companies, these ones that had gone from good to great, or their leadership team, but their organizations stayed strong. This amazed me, and it was an incredible relief. A humble, dogged institutionalist? I could do that. A person of sound values, working for what they want and think the world needs? We do that. It was incredibly liberating, this insight, not just for me, but I hope if any of you are harboring the same misconceptions, I hope it is for you too, because to be captive to that myth about leadership and what it is, it's to shut you out of the potential to be part of it. Interestingly, some of what it actually means then to be a leader echoes some ancient teachings about leadership. One's particularly appropriate maybe today. It echoes what I remembered learning from my reading of the Analects of Confucius, the fifth century BCE philosopher whose teachings still shape and guide about 60 million people, at least in the world, who call themselves Confucius. Confucius said the noble life the one that was drawn into service and leadership was grounded in virtue, and that these virtues were things like benevolence and courage and wisdom, and that things like benevolence, they were the ability to see what others needed or wanted, to listen for what they needed or wanted, and then to have the ability practically to go out and secure it for them. It was both this very relational, quiet, but also pragmatic, practical notion of what a leader does, at least my reading of it is. And Confucius also believed that this life, that it led by example, shaping the world, that it kind of created, it sounds like in some of his writings, like you, you created this force field around you or this culture, and that people who were drawn in or into working with you in it, they they sort of got transformed themselves, not by compulsion or edict, but just by the power of this lived instruction. It's a model I think most of us already are trying to live in our lives, right? Live by example, cultivate the listening heart, practice daily devotion to help people get what they need, ease the tide of human suffering howsoever we can, week after week after week. Keep pursuing wisdom and then link it up to courage. It's a good time, friends, to remember these facets and faces of leadership. Because it is the year of the tiger, because we can think sometimes those faces don't include our own, but they do. Because as Lori pointed out and the Chronicle did this week in an article, this is a year we need steady, institutional, world-transforming leadership 
because of what's going on in our very city. A tsunami of hate that's been building up through this pandemic. Because as Kathy Park Hong names children living all over our nation, are living with a thrum of, quote, fear and shame, a tight animal alertness, unease and dread, simply for who they are, gorgeous but not white in a nation of white terror. Our AAPI family and friends, our Jewish family and friends, our black, brown, Muslim family and friends, our GLBTQIA family and friends, immigrant family and friends, need tigers in the streets. Last week was a conference for reproductive rights that our congregation helped sponsor. Lori, along with Dolores and Robin, helped to make that happen and others. We were a primary sponsor of it, and it's an issue that disproportionately reproductive rights disproportionately affects women of color. So that is about listening and trying to affect the kind of change that we need. Kudos. And the forum led a program a couple of weeks ago, one that, well, one of many that they let lead, but this one was to raise attention around arguing for the basic, for, for people who are in jail in Iran who are there for arguing for the basic freedoms of freedom to be women, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, and they're languishing in these jails and they're in danger of execution. 30,000 people watched or listened to that program around the world. Many answered the call to sign up and continue the drumbeat of attention that might actually protect and get those people liberated, which at least lets them know they're not alone, so kudos. Our Wednesday witness on the steps of the church at rush hour continues. We are tigers. And this week, Rabbi Jonathan Singer of Temple Emmanuel and Michael Pappas of the Interfaith Council of San Francisco and I all got on a Zoom on Friday to talk about having our congregations and others join together to launch a campaign of collective action and solidarity with communities in the city who are under attack. A campaign that if we can pull it off, we hope will involve local ads on buses, witness events, and you tell me what else. We're beginning the brainstorming. If you know of any local ad executives who can help us brainstorm imagery and a motto, if you have ideas, if you want to be part of it, please let me know. It's past time. According to what I've read, the tiger of the zodiac is a leader with a strong sense of justice and an orientation to help others and serve the greater good. May it be a year of the tiger then where we draw on the gifts of everybody who is running this race to the gates of heaven. Where we remember the many faces of leadership that includes our own. Knowing that the transformation that we are all working for is probably the kind of hope for which and the work toward which drew us into religious community in the first place and keeps us here. So what a gift to do it together 
May the tiger be unleashed then in all of us, and in doing so, may the year 4,720 be joyful and worthy of celebration, and the roar be heard throughout this city and to its healing and a celebratory end. Amen. Happy 4720, Year of the Tiger. As I enter this Lunar New Year, I am reminded that bold action by a person born in the Year of the Tiger is responsible for me having a Chinese identity. Qin Shi Huang united several independent states to establish the empire named after him, China. His massive tomb including thousands of terracotta warriors, is world famous. The Lunar New Year for me is when I especially appreciate everything Chinese, such as special foods my mother used to make, like Mian Gao, Lohan Jai, and the lucky red-colored uh, red decorations that were part of my family's traditions. As the most important holiday of this year, of the year, it is generally a time to celebrate being part of a global community of overseas Chinese people. And yet I have to say that I feel less than comfortable being Chinese identified due to recent global, national, and local events. Anti-Asian hate crimes reported in San Francisco rose from nine in 2020 to more than 60 in 2021. In one local incident, an Asian-American elderly man was attacked and beaten with a baseball bat in Chinatown. The legal system allowed one attacker to plead to a misdemeanor with one year probation. The other attacker apparently was not charged. My own family was threatened by an anti-Asian neighbor, and with the help of this congregation, and our district supervisor, this situation is now being managed. The U.S. government is openly treating China as a global rival, and there are harsh tariffs in place that con which contribute to higher prices for U.S. consumers. And China is accused of human rights violations in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, and Tibet. Note that the U.S. has not had a spotless record on human rights, especially regarding BIPOC people, including Asian Pacific Islanders. Even the Beijing Olympics, typically a source of ethnic pride by the host country's diaspora, is widely regarded as controversial, not just because of the ongoing pandemic, which happened to originate from China. As I enter the Year of the Tiger, which is traditionally a time of commotion, uproar, and bold new moves, I sense that this year may be filled with courageous action to address not only issues facing overseas Chinese people like myself, but also other social justice issues everywhere. Taking some inspiration by, from China's best and worst emperor, Qing Shi Wang, I 
and resolve to choose courage over comfort this lunar year. Gung Si Fa Tai, and go bravely into the year of the tiger. <laughs>